Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh. 
when it all goes bust at the seams Then you scream and cry to the one on high He's been it from the beginning when you felt like you were winning He was calling all the shots, he gave you all that you got So when you're low, just you know he's up above and down below So shout it out aloud with me, let's go
Lazos, Lazos, es Hashabos. De toiro y son, de toiro y son, prisa.
Wischowski. כוכבים שמאירים את העולם ועם הזמן נעלמים טיפסתי על פסגות הרים בדרך גם שאלתי בעצת החכמים לא נתתי לעיניי להסתבר מהמרות והבנתי שיותר מדי זה לפעמים פחות לקחתי לי מתוך השקט שיר לנשמה. אין עוד מלבדו, מלוא כל הארץ כבודו, הקדוש במלחמות אל מול היצר כמו מדבר צמא למימה, אדם נכנע. ושוב הנפש מבקשת לה מסתור מתחת לכנפי השכינה. גם אני עמדתי בפתח כמו כולם, לבקש סליחה ממלך העולם, ולקחתי לי מתוך שיר הנשמה אין עוד מלבדו מלוא כל הארץ כבודו הקדוש ברוך הוא מלך Hello. No. 
J.M. in the A.M., brand new Ari Goldwag. It's called Bitzchu. You heard Einod Milvado, Yaakov Shweki, and Shlomi Shabbat together in a live presentation. Um, Yeshiva Boys, Me'ein Olam Haba, Veshamru, done by Tzvi Silberstein, Micha Gamerman by request with Mimkomcha, Einod Milvado, that was Mordechai Shapiro, brand new, Yehuda Green with Rav Shleimah's Kiddush. Was it his Kiddush or what did we, yeah, I think it was Kiddush. <laughs> I don't remember myself. I don't remember if they called it Rip Schleimer's Vishamru or Rip Schleimer's Kiddish. Uh, no, I think it was Kiddish. And, and, and Regesh. Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. You'd think it would be easy enough for me to look up, right? Let's see. Let's see if I could actually look it up and uh, and give you a definitive answer as to what that was. Um... Well, that's strange. Oh, yeah, we're almost kiddish. There it is. Whew, was right the first and second time here at JM and the AM. Friday morning on this October the 16th, day 28 in the month of Tishrei, the year 5781, Tufshin Pei Aleph, of Shabbos Parshas Bracious, we're at the very first of the 54 Parshios. Candlelighting in New York, 553. 553 is candlelighting in New York. Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan is tomorrow night. That's right, tomorrow night, Saturday night at Mariv, we'll say Yalaviyavo. And then Sunday and Monday is Rosh Chodesh. Sunday morning, Monday morning, and all day Sunday and Monday, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan. It's actually Machar Chodesh. Tomorrow we'll read Machar Chodesh in Shul. And I was uh, looking at the uh, Jewish calendar tidbits on Twitter. Our friends at the Jewish Calendar Tidbits always have, uh, especially when this type of thing happens, uh, where we have such a big Shabbos, so to speak, or so many things during Shabbos. They wrote uh, here, Jewish Calendar Tidbits. If you want to follow it, it's at Tidbits Jewish, at Tidbits Jewish on Twitter. Erev Shabbos Bracious, Machar Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan, Sunday and Monday. Very early Molad, Shabbos morning at 323, even, no Chalakim. At 3.23, Shabbos morning is the Molod, uh, Rosh Chodesh, or I, the first day of Mar Cheshvan is not till Sunday night. Rosh Chodesh, of course, as we keep saying, starts tomorrow night, Saturday night. But uh, yeah, very early Molod, and uh, Rabbi Heber has uh, spent some time with us over the last couple of sessions we've had about Jewish calendaric trivia, uh, discussing that early Molod concept. He even wrote an article about it about a year ago. Um which you might be able to search online. It's possible. What was the name of that article? The name of the article was, oh, actually, it was a question-answer thing that he had done for a local newspaper. And um, it, it was discussing the Molot of the month of Shvat uh, back, uh, I guess, almost a year and a half ago, right? Or half a year ago. I'm not sure which one he was referring to. I guess half a year ago. Anyway, uh, yes, he has addressed the topic for us of the early Molot. And uh, sure enough, it is uh, like that now, and it'll even out. We'll get to a uh, more 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 of a mola that we're used to uh, in the next couple of months. Um, <laughs> I like the way I put that. A mola that we're more used to. Some of our listeners actually um, uh, have been pointing out this whole thing. Actually, it's Trucker Yitz. Trucker Yitz has been pointing it out. Uh, Trucker Yitz wakes up on Friday morning and uh, gets to our app ASAP and always talks about the start of Shabbos. He says, in the 3 a.m. hour, New Zealand started Shabbos, meaning in our 3 a.m. hour. In the 5 o'clock hour, 
Eastern Australia started Shabbos. And now in the 6 a.m. hour, Western Australia is starting Shabbos. Wow. We always say that the only way Australia could hear our uh, Friday morning broadcast is is uh, after Shabbos. And sure enough, Yitz proves that. Uh, then he writes, I think the Molot is 3.23 a.m. and no Chalakim. That's correct. In Yerushalayim. And at this point of your show, all your listeners will announce the Molot was 3.23 a.m. Hmm. wonder what that means exactly. Sometimes he... He'll write a little cryptically, and I'm not sure exactly what he means by that. Uh, oh, at this point of the show, I guess he means at uh, 3.23 um, a.m. Or, or or past that. I guess. I'm not sure. Anyway, Trucker Yitz, thank you, because, yes, you are <clears throat> you are keeping us up to date on when Shabbos starts around the world, and we very much appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank, um, thank G-Man, who not only put in a request on the app, but gave us a shout-out from Oak Park, California. Thank you. And that was early in the morning. Talk about time zones. G-Man checked in at uh, in the 3 a.m. hour out in California. Appreciate that very much, people who stick with us all night long. That's really cool. In fact, I just took a screenshot of the bump in listenership that we had during the Arab Shabbos show last night, and uh, it, it is true. It is true, as I predict and as I uh, always say, that the Thursday and Friday broadcasts and the Thursday and Friday programming here at the Nahum Siegel Network, as great as the other days are, and they are great on the other days, uh, they get a tremendous amount of attention in the Arab Shabbos show done by Mark Zamek. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 3 a.m. Friday morning, and it's coming up at 10 o'clock this morning as well, uh, is really a, uh, and, and presented by Kedem, is really an amazing brand new show this week for Shabbos Bracious and uh, gets a tremendous amount of attention worldwide, and we're very, very proud of it. So thank you very much, Mark. Uh, listener Tikva's on the app. We thank her. Oh, and I also got a um, – I woke up, and I, I mentioned this on Facebook this morning. Uh, yesterday, uh, the amazing Simon Jacob was on, and he was talking about supporting us here at the JMNAM and the Nahum Siegel Network and how important it is to go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And, he's, and he mentioned that uh, there's some key numbers to keep in mind. I mean, Chai might be obvious to the Ashkenazi community, but he was talking about 26 and 101, and of course uh, 126 and 180. I mean, there, there are certain numbers that are significant once you um, open up the discussion to all of our traditions and uh, all of our uh, backgrounds. Uh, a lot of significant numbers. We obviously get a lot of highs and, and uh, multiples of high, etc. Anyway, this morning, listener Aliza uh, tossed in a couple of, of wonderful donations, and I thank her very, very much. So thank you, listener Aliza. The, that's something that happened uh, overnight um, at about 2 in the morning Eastern time, so that's much appreciated. And then I came across a donation for $6.13. It made me think of Simon because he was talking about significant numbers, right? $6.13. You would say that that's, you know, that's a significant number uh, in Jewish tradition. And then when I saw where the uh, donation was from, it really made me uh, thrilled. And I know it's not fair to the New York, New Jersey people that we don't get as, as, uh, <laughs> as joyful um, when they donate, and that's not fair. They're they're our base, and they are you know they're they're the ones who keep us going on a uh, on an annual basis. So I really I got to step it up on every single donation. But when you see that the six dollars and thirteen cents was donated by a listener named Eric in Hasselby, Sweden, that is a um, 
that gives us an amazing feeling. Uh, we talk about how we, we know we have listeners around the world, and we certainly have had donors from around the world, uh, and we have some regular donors from places way outside the United States. Uh, but when Hasselby Sweden checks in, that's what we call really, really cool. So um, thank you, Eric, for making our early Friday morning here at JM in the AM. So um, Eitan Katz posted it. Many of you have seen it. Uh, he and his family are now living in Israel as of yesterday. I sent them a, uh, a text wishing him Mazel Tov just a few minutes ago. He sent back a text with great appreciation. Um, it's really an amazing achievement when someone could take their family and move to Israel, especially during these times. And he's gone ahead and he's done it. It's a kolakavod to him and his wife and the entire family. And uh, Eitan Katz, he's uh, now living in Jerusalem. And those of you out there who uh, have heard his most recent albums, this one's actually called Live in Jerusalem. Volume number two on a Friday, Erev Shabbos. It's JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. Barry Weber and company. Um, that, that one is called Shabbos He at J.M. in the A.M. Um, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat and sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items as well. Visit the website kosherdogs.net and try A&H today. And don't forget at kosherdogs.net, when you use promo code RADIO, you are entitled to a 10% discount. Kosherdogs.net. Uh, you know, it's Shabbos Bracious. It's Shabbos Bracious. It's a new beginning. Many of you out there are um, looking to enhance your life with a new cycle of Torah study. Yeah, it's Shabbos Bracious after all. Uh, check out Partners in Torah. Go to partnersintorah.org. They will literally set you up with somebody to study with on a regular basis. Uh, you can... Um, you can go to the website, partnersintorah.org, and become a student or mentor. Or you can call the number, 1-800-STUDY-42. 1-800-STUDY, the number four, the number two. And again, you can be a student and learn more about our heritage, brush up on things, or you can be a mentor, uh, or you could study with someone every single week. And it's open to men and women, and you should check it out. It's partnersintorah.org. It's 1-800-STUDY-42. 1-800-STUDY-42. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galitzal coming up. Um, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is coming up. He'll join us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Uh, Naomi Nachman, brand new table for two with Maishi Schoenfeld of Asi's Fish and Rabbi Hanoch Hecht, the six, excuse me, the six-minute rabbi, all coming up on table for two between nine and ten this morning. The Erev Shabbos show starts at ten a.m. with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Galitzal Israel Army Radio, two p.m. newscast next to Jam Dan.
גלי צהל השעה שתיים, צהריים טובים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ועדת השרים לענייני אזור מוגבל תתכנס בעוד מספר דקות להכריע בסוגיית ההגבלות בערים האדומות. כתבתנו מוריה עשרה וולברג פרסמה כי רשימת הערים תכלול את ביתר עילית, אלעד, מודיעין עילית, רכסים, בני ברק ושלוש שכונות בירושלים. בית שמש נותרה בשלב זה מחוץ לרשימה בעקבות השיפור בנתוני התחלואה. ובמהלך התייעצות שנערכה מוקדם יותר היום בהשתתפות שר הבריאות אדלשטיין וממונה הקורונה גם זו, הובהר כי קיימת מגמת שיפור ניכרת בכלל לערים האדומות, ועל פי התחזיות השונות, אם מגמה זו תימשך עד יום חמישי, ייתכן שההגדרה עיר אדומה תוסר מכולן בסוף השבוע הבא. גבר בשנות ה-70 לחייו נפצע קשה מדקירות ברחוב הרכבת בראש העין. צוות מגן דוד אדום פינה אותו לבית החולים בילינסון כשהוא סובל מפציעות בגופו. כתבנו בן נצר מוסר שהמשטרה עצרה את נכדו, בן ה-22, בחשד למעורבות במעשה. פורסמו המתווים להפעלת הגנים ומעונות היום החל בראשון, לפי הודעת משרד החינוך. במסגרות התקיים למידה מלאה לחלוטין שישה ימים בשבוע, והצוותים החינוכיים, גם במעונות היום וגם בגנים, יחויבו בחבישת מסכה לכל אורך היום, זאת בשונה מההנחיות הקודמות. ולקראת הפתיחה, משרד הבריאות קורא לגננות ולסייעות לערוך בדיקות סקר לאבחון קורונה. ללא צורך בהפניית רופא, כתבנו דורון קדוש מציין שלשם כך פרס פיקוד העורף נקודות בדיקה ברחבי הארץ שתפעלנה במהלך סוף השבוע. צרפת, גרמניה, בריטניה, איטליה וספרד פרסמו גינוי להחלטת הממשלה לקדם בנייה של כ-5,000 יחידות דיור ביהודה ושומרון. בהודעה הרשמית נכתב, אנו מודאגים מאוד מההחלטה, הרחבת ההתנחלויות מפרה את הדין הבינלאומי ומסכנת את ההיתכנות של פתרון שתי המדינות. בנוסף נכתב, זה צעד בלתי מועיל לנוכח ההתפתחויות החיוביות בהסכמי הנורמליזציה שהושגו בין ישראל למדינות המפרדות. אנו קוראים לעצירה של הבנייה בהתנחלויות, כך בהודעה הרשמית. מזג האוויר עלייה בטמפרטורות בראשון, הכבדה נוספת בעומס החום, אלה החדשות. He treats us to words about the... Oh, you know what? We're a drop early. It's only three minutes after seven o'clock. We'll save Harry... Uh... Uh, for another few minutes, usually get to him sometime between 7.05 and 7.10 in the morning, so we'll do that coming up here at JM in the AM. Moshe Hecht is next, and you're listening to JM in the AM. Thank you. 
J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's Parsha's Bracious, everybody. We start anew from the very first Parsha. Candle lighting in New York at 5.53. It's uh, Erev Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh begins tomorrow night. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan is Sunday and Monday. Again, it begins tomorrow night, Saturday night. But Sunday, Monday is Rosh Chodesh, and tomorrow will be Machar Chodesh. Again, 5.53, candle lighting in New York. Before the uh, Michael Nadata selection, you heard Moshe Hecht with Father in Heaven here at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg has words about the uh, 
Uh, first Parsha of the Torah, Parsha's Bracious. Here he is at JM in the AM. And again, we apologize. I don't know why we're having problems with the audio. You know what? We'll give it one other shot here. We have one other possibility, and uh, we'll see if this works. And if not, then we'll move on. But we'd like to get Harry's words on the air for you here at JM in the AM. One of the great sages of the Talmud, Rava, gives some advice to the men of the city of Machoza. He tells them that they should honor their wives so that they'll become wealthy. Now, that's a little strange. Why didn't he just say honor your wives because it's the right thing to do. We all know, happy wife, happy life. I remember before my first two sons got married, I sat each of them down and told them that up until now, the two most important people in your family to you were me and your mother. But now, beginning with your wedding, that's no longer the case. And I hope it'll never come to this, but if you need to, you can remind me that I told you this. If there's ever a conflict, God forbid, between me and your mother, or either one of us, and your new wife, she wins. Your new wife has to win because you have to honor her. In contrast, before each of my two daughters got married, I just prayed and prayed and prayed, please let each of these guys take care of my daughter. And so far, so good. Shout out to my sons-in-law, perhaps. Rava felt if he merely said it's the right thing to do, he wouldn't get as much buy-in. Instead, by telling them they'll become wealthy, That'll get their attention. A guy hears he can make a few more bucks by honoring his wife. Hey, where do I sign up for that? But the bigger question is, what in the world is the connection between honoring your wife and becoming wealthy? I heard a beautiful explanation as follows. Now that we've finished the holidays, we begin again to read the Torah all the way back from the beginning. So we're in this week's Torah portion in Genesis and Beratius in the Garden of Eden, in Gan Eden. And we know what happens early on. That snake convinces the first woman, Eve, Chava, to eat from the forbidden fruit. And then she shares some with her husband, Adam, Adam. And God appears and gives each of the actors in that story a punishment, a consequence of sorts. He tells the snake from now on, you're going to slither on the ground. He tells the woman that from now on, pregnancy will be difficult and You'll desire your husband, but he will rule over you. And he tells the man, it's not going to be easy anymore. You're going to have to earn a living through the sweat of your brow. And that's not a consequence just for that snake and that woman and that man. It's a consequence for all snakes and all women and all men in the future. So here's the connection. God is saying, I saw what you did. You honored your wife instead of ruling over her. You reduced that punishment that I gave her. You know what I'm going to do? Since you treated her properly, treated her well, I'm going to reduce your consequence. I'm going to make it easier for you to earn a living. Less sweat off your brow, more wealth. So this is just yet another example of how microscopically exacting God is in paying us reward for how we act. Not just for how we act towards Him, obeying his commands, the ones that govern our conduct between him and us, but also rewarding us for how well we treat each other.
J.M. in the A.M., Sandy Shmueli with that selection uh, here on a uh, Friday morning era of Shabbos. Uh, there we go. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying, to, trying to be able to hear things a little bit better here in this studio. Oh, I think that's better. There we go. Friday morning on the 16th of October and the 28th of Tishrei. Believe it or not, the first month of 5781 is about to uh, expire. On Sunday, it comes to a close. It's hard to believe. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bracious, candlelighting 553 in New York. It's Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan beginning tomorrow night. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Sunday and Monday, Rosh Chodesh. And again, tomorrow night is um, uh, the beginning of Rosh Chodesh. Once the Shabbos concludes. Uh, I mentioned earlier the uh, folks on uh, Twitter, Jewish Calendar Tidbits, at Tidbits Jewish. They write, Erev Shabbat Breshit, Machar Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan, Sunday and Monday. Very early Molad. Oh, by the way, Trucker Yitz explains what he meant. Those of you on the app can check out the uh, comments in the app section. Uh, he makes a good. He makes a couple of really good points this morning, and I thank him. Very early Molad, Shabbat morning at 3.23 is real time. And by early Molad, we mean that the very first day of Cheshvan is obviously Sunday night, right? The second day Rosh Chodesh. And yet the uh, Molad, the birth of the new moon, as we officially call it, and as we officially need to know before we bench Rosh Chodesh, is happening very, very early on a Shabbos morning. JM and the AM Friday, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more, old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more, and modern better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, Reduced fat and sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items as well. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. Uh, I want to thank, you know, we, we keep talking about, and yesterday was a, a big day for us in terms of um, a support for JMNAM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, Simon Jacob was on. We got some really nice donations following his plea. He also mentioned uh, key uh, key numbers to keep in mind. Uh, he likes 26 and 101. Of course, we all like 18 and 180 and 360. And then this morning, I told you about Eric from Sweden, who contributed $6.13 overnight. He also spoke about monthly donations. That's something you could set up by going to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And if you can give us 36 or 54 or $100 a month, that goes a tremendously long way for us. So please keep in mind monthly donations at fjbunity.org. But then this morning, uh, as I'm going through some of the uh, donations and seeing Eric from Sweden, etc., I am um, I, I'm so glad to see people responding to our plea and people responding to our uh, uh, to our request to join our 2020 campaign. And our good friend Danny Morris, who was on the air recently, you may recall, remember that? Yeah. He and his family, uh, now in Aretz. Remember the whole story? Great appearance by him on the air. Uh, he writes, Shabbat Shalom. He's donated a 10 times high donation in memory of his father, Harav David Dov ben Avraham Aviezer. Uh, and that's in uh, in my honor, and I thank uh, Danny for that and his family for that, and the amazing work we do here on behalf of the Jewish people and humanity. And that's much appreciated. And um, your father's neshama should have an aliyah. And I am proud that uh, you've used this forum and this cause to honor his memory. So big regards to the Morris family and Shabbat Shalom to them. And I thank everybody out there who is um, 
who is uh, donating and sponsoring here at JM in the AM. By the way, if you go to the website, fjbunity.org, if you go to the website at fjbunity.org, I'd like you to keep in mind that you can um, hit the uh, sponsorship opportunities tab and you could literally sponsor one of our Divrei Torah or our announcements of candlelighting time or our Modani or Hatikva, whatever it is, any portion of the show um, in memory of um, of a loved one. Just go to uh, fjbunity.org and uh, click on sponsorship opportunities. 22 minutes after 7 o'clock, Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We are less than a week away. We are less than a week away from our Zoom Jews and baseball conversation on Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, and you're invited from around the world, all donors, all supporters of this great radio project that we call JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network are invited to a um, to an exclusive event, a Zoom conversation with Steve Adelsberg. You may recall he's been a guest of ours recently on JM and the AM to discuss uh, Jews and sports. Uh, a discussion with Steve Adelsberg. This is at the recommendation of Mr. Ralph Rosenbaum. And um, Ralph and his firm are sponsoring the event, and we thank them for th- we thank him for that. Um, it's Thursday night, seven thirty on Zoom. We we hope all of our friends in our audience, who are baseball fans, are going to join us. It's right in the middle of the World Series. I think it's between Game Two and Game Three of the World Series. We hope everyone will join us for the panel discussion and for the uh, uh, for the interesting schmooze. In addition, we will be joined by a former Major League Baseball player. In addition to everything, it's a cool event that's shaping up. Uh, but in addition, uh, we will be uh, joined by a former Major League Baseball player. All right? So that's all happening via Zoom, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time this coming Thursday night. And uh, it's a, uh, a sponsor-exclusive event. Those of you who have uh, who have uh, donated and continue to donate during 2020 to JM and the Nachum Siegel Network, you are uh, invited to participate and be part of it. And I hope everybody will, uh, I hope everybody, frankly, will be part of it. If you're not a sponsor yet, it's not too late to become a sponsor, and it's there's no minimum donation or anything like that. It's not like we're shutting anybody out. Uh, but we're looking forward to the event and really expanding on what uh, Steve Adelsberg and I have done with our conversations on the air regarding Jews and baseball and sports in general. Again, we will, we will be joined by a former Major League baseball player. Listener John says Shabbat Shalom and Good Shabbos from New Jersey. Yes, I, I I know I cannot forget our base, our amazing New Jersey and New York listeners and our amazing New Jersey and New York donors. And believe you me, I don't forget you at all. Friday morning, JM in the AM. More coming up. This is from uh, Ellie Marcus. Shall you 
شام نواد خواهی بگیر تیم یا یلام بخشانیم تنمایی یا شام نواد
Schlockrock. What's better than that? With Baruch HaGever. Miami Mizrach and Yomzeh, Menucha Vesimcha, done by Ben Sion Twersky, Stroll Jeskowitz and Lechad Odi. You heard Yona Matzah going way back to a Schwebel Shar from Levine. It's nice on a, a Friday. Not that it's not nice playing Erev of music. It's amazing. Uh, but it seems we did so for about a month. Hey, we did so for about a month. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to get back to some of the Shabbos Miros as well on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. I want to thank all those who are responding to our pleas. Our fall 2020 fundraiser continues. I um, I mentioned uh, Danny Morris earlier and uh, wish him and his family a very big Shabbat Shalom all the way in Aretz. And um, just a moment ago, listener Susan with a twice-high donation at fjbunity.org, so it's much appreciated. And I want to thank again Simon Jacob yesterday for being part of our plea for monthly donors and for people to um, to give those special numbers, including listener Eric in Halsey, Sweden, who this morning gave $6.13. That is a significant number. Thanks to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Uh, they are um, a great resource for thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world. You should uh, utilize the website and print out articles before you get to Shabbos. And enjoy them over Shabbos. It's JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, it's good to be back with you, and uh, hope everybody is well. Yes, let's hope everyone's doing fine and dandy. And uh, it is good to be back and every Friday morning, folks, at about 7.40. I know it's a little later now. About 7.40 every Friday. Uh, you can catch us here with the weekly update at the JM and the AM. You know, there's a lot being spoken about regarding, um, and you and I have discussed over the years the whole issue of free speech and and whether we're for boycotts or censorship. And it's a really delicate place to be in a leadership role in the Jewish world when this topic comes up. And you see the way Facebook and Twitter's being criticized for the way they're handling the New York Post investigation. At the same time, Facebook has essentially banned Holocaust denial 
from their social media site. So any any observation you can give us about what it's like to be from you know our background and community and be you know fr- obviously pro freedom of speech but in some ways we do encourage you know censorship or alteration of of uh, of of certain stories and certain posts from our social media giants what are your feelings on the matter well you're right that it's a dilemma because uh, you know we are free speech advocates generally but as uh, the classic example of yelling fire in a theater, there are limits. And this is not about um, a political issue or a candidate or any of the other issues that are generally debated these days. This is about denying an historical fact. And it's not just about the Holocaust. They said that there would be uh, attempts to deny or diminish violent events, including the Holocaust, um, which is based on the company's policy. And as you know, Twitter followed... Uh, Facebook in this regard, right. and they said that we we banned anti-Semitic stereotypes about the collective power of Jews that depicts them as running the world, which, as you know, is a common theme uh, today, and even in the United States and on many many websites, and the you know blaming the Corona, all the things that they do. These are all with consequence. These are all uh, uh, allegations that. People have been hurt about, people have been uh, beaten up, and we know historically the price we pay. So it, it is not uh, simply, it's not a question of censorship here. I think it's it's a question of legitimacy and and, and, and uh, denying historical realities for a purpose, and that purpose is to, to hurt Jews. So, you know, I don't think that it's it's uh, it fits the category of a lot of the other objections we might have had. Right. In regard to the, but but the, the the internet, if people would have a chance to see how what the real internet, but no, below the surface, we see some of these obvious websites. There are thousands, tens of thousands, maybe of websites that uh, portray Jews in horrific ways all over the world. And Iran keeps pouring them out. The PA has has been behind them. Others have been behind them. They come from the left and from the right. I uh, once was taken, you know, into the dark web. It's so horrific to see it because it's it's like vipers jumping out from every point uh, as they show you other and other and other sources um, and uh, anti and you, sites that and as soon as you cancel one, two more appear. So this is a really serious issue that is affecting people's lives, and you see how many of the uh, attacks in Europe and elsewhere and here. Uh, were traced then to incitement on the internet. Right. Um, it, I understand there's a lot of websites out there, and as you just described, you know, the dark web or beneath the surface is a lot of stuff going on. But there really is no competitor to Twitter and Facebook. There really is no colleague to them. If there was an alternate, there would be a lot of people who are really who would be you know very satisfied <laughs> if there was another social media site to go to. Nobody has the reach that they have. With that in mind. Do you worry? I mean, you know, we, there's there's a there's a lot of baggage in Jewish history, and a lot of it has to do with you know when when uh, when a lot of power is accumulated. Uh, do you worry that you know as these issues continue to come up and as uh, uh, people continue to post negative things about the Jewish community, there may be a time where a giant like Twitter or Facebook would look the other way? I think they have looked the other way in in uh, in instances. Um... They tried to defend their previous positions. This is a change. It's a, it's a, I think, a significant change. And uh, but but 
you know, it's the question of the technology to be able to identify all the anti-Semitic sources, and they keep changing the names. So, you know, if, if, if there are programs, for instance, that can identify certain words, so that's the obvious ones. But somebody showed me this thing about Jewish baby strollers or something. Right, right. You know, that, they keep coming up with new ways to, right. to try and disguise it. So, you know, that the... Uh, it's a massive undertaking to to try and really eliminate it. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, by the way, and, and, and I, I really wanted to start with this because I, I thought it was important to. Uh, you talk about the way Jews are represented, and we're so proud when we're represented well. Uh, many of us have become aware of the fact that Rabbi Sachs, Lord Sachs, is not well at the moment right. uh, with a cancer diagnosis. And I think one of the reasons it hit us so hard is because he represents us so well. Who represents the Jewish people and Orthodox Jews in a more dignified manner and in such a uh, and, and, and in such a uh, intelligent a, way. intelligent way, the way he does, and I think that's why many of us are affected by this news. So we pray for his recovery, of course, and for his good health. You started this conversation by saying, "Hope you're well. Hope everybody's well." And these days, we always say that. I had the exact same reaction that we have so few spokespeople who can speak across the board who are articulate. And respectful, and, and, and respectful, and respectful of all, but and and have gained the respect yeah. from the Queen, from the leaders in England, but around the world also. He is seen in is uh, one of those unique individuals, and we wish him a refuah quickly. We need him, and uh, God willing, he will be all right. Yeah, he's got a lot left in him. He's got a lot more work to do, no question about it. And we do pray for him certainly. Uh, and and I, I don't want to put you in a sensitive position because when it comes to local stuff, sometimes uh, uh, you hesitate to address it, and I totally get that. But you just said, you know, what it, how unique it is to have good, effective, respectful leadership. And I think in every situation, including what's going on now in New York, what we seek and what we hope for is good, respectful leadership. And you often have spoken to us about those who compare certain episodes or certain situations to quote-unquote, and I'll say it in quotes, Nazi Germany, because the way people talk about it, it's like, you know, it's a concept as opposed to historical reality. And uh, do you have any thoughts about the way people should react when they're not 100% happy with the way state or city government is dealing with our community? Maybe you might suggest, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you might suggest that, that comparisons like that may not be justified? You can't put those words in my mouth, absolutely. And the, the, it's often an absence of an argument when you resort is screaming Nazi at at police officers or others, it's not helpful. It doesn't win any support. It doesn't gain anything. And I'll tell you the truth that many of the young people who are yelling it have no clue today anymore about what really happened in the Shoah. <laughs> Good point. And, and would not be able to identify what, what it means when with some of the language that is being used. And often, you know, we've seen um, sometimes a vacuum of leadership or, or uh, an ability of uh, really well-meaning and and effective and devoted people to to affect the situation, and then uh, and you know that vacuum is always filled by others, and not the most, not often the most, uh, the people we would most want to see. Um, we have to think and, uh, often, and I, I, you know, this applies, and you know, I've said it many times to political arguments to everything. Right. Is it's not what you say; you have to think about how it's heard. And especially when you have TV cameras all over the place, when you have people recording now with the uh, iPhones and everything, that everything today is on the record so that it, it circulates, and then it circulates nationally and internationally. 
and the calls I've gotten from all over the world from people saying, "What is what is that? What is going on there? What what the portrayal is so negative and so bad?" And we're, the media has been distorted. The media has been insightful. The media has been so negative and and trying to portray Jews in the in the worst way. But then we contribute to it when yeah. we stage the kind yeah. of things that have been seen. And uh, you know, I know many rabbinim have tried valiantly to to send out the right messages, both about compliance, but also about reaction. Yeah, and, and also when when you're dealing with uh, situations where where people, and I understand when it comes to Shabbos and Yantif, when it comes to every day, people want to be in shul, people want to be actively involved in 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 communal prayer. I get all that, especially this past week, the, the probably the biggest social week on the Jewish calendar when it comes to our, our faith-based uh, existence, meaning the the week of Sukkot. Uh, but sometimes if there you know, sometimes the way people behave has to be evaluated and questioned um, when when it looks like they're flaunting um, uh, themselves and their events, and I'll say it, their kiddishes specifically, in front of state authorities. Last thing on this topic, um, the, um, the, uh, you mentioned the, <laughs> now of course, now of course I've lost uh, my train of thought. Uh, oh yeah, I was reminded, one last thing on this topic. I was reminded about this when I saw an interview with a bishop yesterday, a local bishop here in uh, in New York City. Um, the reality is that there, there is a, a battle over faith going on. I mean, it's a reality. If 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 authorities are a little bit more lenient or more lenient in general with certain gatherings, groups, etc., it's a reality that that there is a that there is a, a, a that there is tension between what we would call secular leaders in a secular community and the faith-based community. But I think it's important to point out that that is across the board. It's happening across the country with every religious group going through similar activities. And we, of course, have to be active and have to establish partners, you know, proper partners to deal with it. But, you know, we also have to be uh, in tune with that reality and not just yell Nazi at everybody, you know, when something doesn't go the way we think it should. That, that is true, but I think that we've seen such successes, sometimes that are part of public officials or uh, law enforcement or others, or apparent what appears to be excessive. We've also seen in terms of reaction that the excessive noncompliance, that, that it's not so much the demand of you, what, what they demand of others, but when you look at the charts of, of what's happened in other communities where the numbers appear to be, appear to be, because nobody has really mastered this that I know, that you see Dr. Fauci and the president arguing still over, over statistical analyses and facts. But there are facts that are incontrovertible. And more importantly, that if this is what, what is required to keep our schools open, our schools open, to do take the necessary steps, then we should be doing it. And um, so many Rabbanim have called for it, so many others. And then people take the law into their own hand and, and make the decisions. Uh, I mean, how many told me, you know, when you walk on the street and you see people without uh, masks, when a police car driving by, you know that they're taking count. Right. I live in a red zone. Right. Uh, you know, I, I see it, and there's no reason for it to be red zone because I don't think that the numbers, particularly here, and, you know, there are a lot of other people, non-Jews, who live in those zip codes, and nobody differentiates between those numbers, although there are obviously numbers of real concern in in religious in, in populations uh, centers for religious Jews. But the but the you know there are people always cite Corona, Elmwood, all these other places where it's very high. That does not excuse though some of the behavior and the reaction. 
and the fact that this then becomes the face of the community to the world. And everything is instantaneous. You know, if I get reaction from Australia, I get it before I even have a chance to see it myself, hmm. because it goes instantly around the world. Do you think of the Chil Hashem that, that we're creating? You're right. There is a tension over religious issues in, in many communities. And the fact that, the, you know, situations were set up where it appeared that they were pitting us against other groups, saying, well, you're going to pay because of, of this other group. And, and there should be ways that they could evaluate each school, see which one is in compliance. If school's not in compliance and really violating things or a synagogue, then you take whatever appropriate action uh, is, is um, allowed to them by law, even if, if, if you can agree or disagree with that action. But the, the, the blanket closing of 100 public schools and all these others and saying, well, it's because of, the, of these Jews and, and saying the problem is Orthodox Jews over and over again uh, is not helpful. And it does, I think it, it leaves a lasting impression within the Jewish community. It drives a, a divide and, of course, between Jews and non-Jews. And I think that, that I hope people, elected officials, public officials, all our leaders will all keep this in mind. You've got to think before you speak and think of what the implications of what you're saying, not out of anger, not out of pique, and not out of personal insult or whatever. is not a reason, Is not a basis for policy. Excellent point. I thank you for addressing this local issue, which, frankly, I believe has international ramifications. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSegal.com and the NahumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Uh, support us by going to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, whether you do utilize one of the significant numbers or not, like Eric in Sweden, $6.13 overnight. Uh, but what, no matter what recommendation you take, 26, 101, 180, or anything else, uh, please support us at um, fjbunity.org. And don't forget, this coming Thursday night, we talk baseball in an exclusive Zoom session with Steve Adelsberg and a former Major League player. Zoom is coming Thursday night at 7.30, exclusive for those who've supported us. Uh, and it's really easy to do so if you uh, want to be part of that uh, event this coming Thursday night. Uh, simply become one of our sponsors at any rate, and it's much appreciated. It's funny, we go to Israel, and the news there, uh, so many people who I saw over the summer who were allowed to leave Israel and travel to the United States said, you know, when I asked them, how is it that Israel did so well so early on when it came to COVID-19, and now, you know, things are unfortunately not so great. And they said, well, it was the reopening of the schools. You know, they are planning on starting a slow school reopening in Israel this coming Sunday. Right. And, and uh, yes, there were many reasons given. Um, and, w- and you say when we get to Israel, I wish we could get to <laughs> yeah. Israel. Right. I think more and more people are really yearning for it. I, I can judge by the calls that I get about it um, and how I personally feel, and especially after Sukkot not being in Israel and Skolta not being there for you know, now, this is the longest time in 50 years that I haven't been in Israel, and it's really painful. And maybe we won't take it so much for granted that people will appreciate it more, that we have the ease with which we can go. You know, unlike our parents, grandparents, for whom this was such a major undertaking or I, an impossibility. I mean, I've pointed this out before. There are mornings you've woken up in the last 25 years where you said, okay, tonight I'm going to fly to Israel. And that, That's that, right. I've had to do. I, I'm I, saying, I've gone to Israel on two hours' notice, and 
for five hours and came back and met with the prime minister and had a re- and returned right away. And you know, for I remember when my parents went, what a produ- production it was, yep. and what an excitement, <laughs> and, and people would, would you know pack toilet paper and coffee and stuff that they would bring with them. And if my father and, went for less than a month, people thought he was crazy. Like right. you're going already, you stay for three, four weeks. You know, yeah, it's true. So uh, number one, so I hope we don't take it for granted. Number two, you know, the the incidents, the pandemic, and the political uh, events here in the country have so eclipsed such major developments and and significant events um, that it, it's 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 a shame because some of them are very significant on, on the the end of the arms embargo in Iran coming up uh, and the um, Rouhani's declarations in this regard the Russians and Chinese ready to provide the weapons um, they're going to provide weapons to South America to, Af- to Africa to to Hezbollah and Hamas of course will be beneficiaries but the good news, which is what's really remarkable, gets no coverage today when it comes to Israel. Everybody's interested in the fight between Netanyahu and his legal problems and right. the domestic um, uh, situation, which is very serious still, and the numbers are very high and very painful. But there was a study done by the Zagvi Group, Zagvi Analytics, which is American-based and reported on uh, Sky News Arabia, and it's it's very interesting to see the change because I've talked about these statistics with you when they were really bad. But it said sixty percent almost of Jordanians, Saudis, Egyptians, uh, and I think fifty six percent of of UAE residents support normalization with Israel. Mm. All the countries except the Palestinians <laughs> were sixty one percent opposed normalization. It's a radical change that is taking place, and and. You know, I speak to people in the Gulf and other places where you, you see that this is not simply a superficial agreement. Yesterday, the Knesset voted to pass it, you know, what, 80 to 13 or something. Um, and the the uh, hopefully the Sudan they're talking about being next. Saudi Arabia is under pressure to, to join. But they're making changes. The overflights over Jordan, something Israel sought for so long. And now, and, and the fact that Iraqi, Jordanian, and other airlines are going to fly over Israel, that um, hopefully the Saudis are going to make permanent the overflight rights. It doesn't sound like much to most people from America, but when you're going to the Far East, this is radically important. And again, the change is opposed when you see what the uh, Grand Mufti of, uh, of, of Jerusalem, the Grand Mufti, you know, which is something of uh, you know, historical significance because the, his predecessor was one of those key backers of the of Hitler and suggested, in fact, the term the final solution for for the problem. But he said that the cl- texts clearly say that if any one inch is, is stolen, quote stolen, that you go to jihad, that you're commanded and and uh, personal commandment and collective commandment to uh, to do it. And we also see the change that Qatar. And Turkey have now moved in to be the key critical players in Gaza, replacing Egypt, replacing Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the radicalization that is taking place there, and the movement amongst the Palestinians towards a one-state solution where the, the numbers supporting a, um, a two-state solution, whatever it would mean, and it's undefined, but still the concept, uh, has dropped so significantly that it was like 70% in um, in 2000 and 55 percent in 2011. Now it's under 30. It's under 40 percent. Hmm. 
and it's a significant statement when you analyze what what that means in terms of of how they're approaching it. And yet, on every other front, Lebanon is sitting with Israel to talk about the maritime things. It's not normalization. It's not shouldn't be exaggerated significance, but it is. The fact that they're sitting, talking, the, the Lebanese wouldn't talk directly to the Israelis, so the American ambassador to Algeria, I think, is the, is the intermediary uh, uh, between them. And the, the, um, the plans that Saudi Arabia had for the big city that the MBS has been working on, they're starting to implement it, which could have immense implications for Saudi-Israel relations and for the whole Red Sea area. And I'm, I'm just telling things off the top of my head that I remember of all of these amazing uh, changes, how the Eastern Mediterranean Agreement that is now in force was while we were off the air, but you have Italy and, and Egypt and um, other countries now joining the Greek-Israel-Cyprus core that I've talked about so long and we've worked on for, for 10 years. And um, these, all this is all good news, and yet... you got to go back for a second to Lebanon, because when an average guy like me reads a story like that, I'm saying, who are they negotiating? They can't negotiate with Hezbollah, but we're, we're under the impression that Hezbollah essentially controls the country at this point. So who's on the other side? That's a good question, and, and uh, an appropriate one. And they're negotiating with the president, who is Aoun right now. The fact is that Lebanon doesn't have a government. The government fell. They've not been able to put one together. They've had several attempts by different uh, prime ministers uh, since then, and, of course, the explosion set it back further. Aoun wants to get out. Aoun is a guy who was head of the of the Christian forces, and um, I met him many times in Lebanon. I was there with, even with the motto, and, and he came to the border, picked us up, took us to Marjoun and other places, and then he flipped, and he went with Hezbollah, and, and as a result, he became the president, more or less as a puppet of theirs, and now that's has split. He has split again with them. Uh, so it, essentially they're negotiating with a representative of the president, but the motivation is, you know, trillions of, of uh, meters of, of gas and of um, oil, and there's no greater uh, motivation than to try to save the economy of a country that is in total economic collapse, so total collapse. if not for Chevron and Noble Energy, this would still be happening? Does this agreement have anything to do with that purchase? It, 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 by the discoveries that um, in Leviathan and, and, and the other areas in the eastern Mediterranean, by Cyprus, that's what's driving it. Now, the, the fight is, of course, that each country extends and claims a huge maritime uh, zone, and that, so that's what it's over, because they have companies, Total, the French company, is ready to drill off the coast of Lebanon, right. <laughs> but rem- they can't. I, it, I'm just I'm laughing because it reminds us that no one, I mean, I don't, you know, don't want to say this because I don't know if it would be fair to the UAE and others, but I don't know if anybody really wants peace. The moment they see that there's a really good business arrangement coming down the road, then all of a sudden they want to make some type of peace agreement. Now I understand, based on what you, how you just reacted to this, that they, why they want a maritime or a, you know, some type of, um, of, of border. Uh, because once that border, I assume, is established, then at least both countries can move ahead and, and start doing business with that with those resources, right? And can drill up to that point, um, right. and when it is under dispute. And remember, this, doesn't, this does not solve the land issues between Israel and right. Java Farms, some of these other areas. Because there's no money to be made there. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, there's, I guess, some, but the, the farms don't produce that much, I guess. I mean, the business, in all seriousness, business is now going to force both sides to make some type of agreement. I still don't get 
how someone who you just described as a puppet of Hezbollah or really a member, it sounds like, you know, of is going to you know make a deal with Israel that Israel could accept, but it seemed from what the the way the prime minister spoke about it this week that he's ready to move ahead. Well, the, the, first of all, they're negotiating with the United States, both right, sides and uh, or U.S. representatives, so they can claim that they're not not negotiating right now with Israel. But th- there's nobody who doesn't recognize the need. Hezbollah wants the money too. I mean, they they are right. in dire shape also, and Iran is cut back on the funding. And you know so, what that money's going to go to eventually? Well, of course, if if it goes to them, because as Israel has said, you know, if there's a war, it's a war today against the government of Lebanon, not just Hezbollah, because Hezbollah is an integral part of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had a, they have to make the choices. The people of Lebanon have to help make the choices. And you see that the, the popularity of Hezbollah is dropping precipitously. But the problem is that there's a vacuum, and, and people are leaving, young people especially uh, are leaving. I spoke to a journalist friend in Beirut. I've spoken to others who describe really dire circumstances um, in, in the country. And Israel wants to see a stable Lebanon, but not with Hezbollah. Right. And just as they want a stable Gaza, they want to see these areas because the instability affects them. But there are shifting alliances of, of uh, very great significance for the UAE, uh, it's, it has a bigger implication, and that is the modernization of the country. Right. About what is the model that they want to look for? Is it the, to go with uh, the retarded view of the Iranians, of Khamenei and, and his group? No, they, they look at Israel and they say, and I've heard this from leaders in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar, in, in the UAE, that uh, you know, that's the model for us. Right. And, and the, the real key is that all, everybody always said that the way to peace is through Ramallah, that if you want to have a solution, if you want to have a relation with the Arab countries, it's Ramallah. And they've said to them, no more, no more veto, no more till you get your act together. They've cut off, the, they've significantly cut any funding to the PA, very significantly. I think the, the, the Arab countries haven't given any money you know, since April or something, because they're just sick and tired of... Yeah. of Pouring the money down the tube there, and you know, and you know who spread that myth that the only way through peace is through Amala. Unfortunately, representatives of the United States government, many of whom we can name, and many of whom are you know, and organizations, and individuals, and think tanks, and others, yeah. and certainly the media that that kept portraying this that right, the but, Arab states, but and it's still an issue. It's not to be dismissed. I get yet. that, but I'm thinking more of Dennis Ross or Isavir. I know what you were thinking. Yeah, about. I had a feeling you knew exactly who I was thinking about. You know, listener Lenny tells a joke. But I think there's some truth to it based on what I'm thinking about with, with regard to the presidential election. He says, Nahum, how remarkable. Last year we were discussing problems with Iran. Today we're discussing problems with Kiddishes. And, you know, as, <laughs> as you know, and you are as well, you know, I, I love politics as a spectator sport. It's two and a half weeks till the elections. This is prime time for somebody like, you know, this, this is World Series time for someone like me. And I'm watching these town halls and, and debates, whatever debates are going on, everything else. None of these is nothing. Nothing is coming up. Nothing important in terms of international politics is coming up. Even this issue of rapper troop reduction, right? And and Trump again was on it yesterday. He's willing to pull out of every everywhere as soon as possible. And it's a real issue. The speed of it's a real issue, and what countries he's considering is a real issue. And it's never discussed. None of this gets any attention. I gotta get no argument for me. I mean that's not absolutely one? true. Nobody I don't is think paying, there was one they're much more interested in some the latest tweet or or Twitter or something that they can exploit and rather than looking at the changes, good and bad changes that that are occurring. But while they're focusing on whether Trump wears a mask or not, do you realize that, that almost every presidential discussion uh, before elections in God knows how many, you know, election years have focused so much on the US military? Just that. 
you know, if you don't want to call it foreign policy, okay. But U.S. military was it was like the number one or two issue after the economy uh, in every one of these conversations for the last many decades. But it's never even brought up now. It, it isn't brought up about our military preparedness, about the, um, you know, is America stronger or weaker in right. the world? These are, are important issues. The fact that the United States has led almost single-handedly against Iran now with the Europeans and still lagging behind and still trying to argue against the imposition of the additional sanctions, which the United States have placed this week on the remaining uh, financial institutions. And, you know, Iran is busy blaming, and, and if you hear the echo here and in Europe that for medical medicine shortages and all that, when that is not covered by the sanctions, it's a lie. They just divert all the attention and, and the finances and resources that are supposed to go for medicine. I mean, last year there was a billion dollars that was supposed to be spent on, on in medicines and, and medical areas that is, quote, missing by their admission. And the, you know, the, the, the media is not, people are going to wake up after this election and say, when did all of this stuff happen? Yeah, where, where, did, where, did, where did it go? I mean, you see Turkey renewing its survey activities in the eastern Mediterranean. All, and each of these issues, like Nagorno-Karabakh, where you have Russia, Turkey, Qatar, Iran, Israel, Pakistan, let alone the, the Azeris and Armenians involved, it's all potentially so explosive. It could become, you know, a, a conflagration very easily that yeah. becomes much broader in its impact. And, and that's true in Libya. It's true in, in Yemen. It's true in so many places. You mention it to people. They look at you blankly and they say, well, what, what's going on there? What's going there? What do you think of the line of questioning at the Barrett hearing? From what I watched, and I didn't, couldn't, didn't have time to watch uh, most of it, but I did listen to some of the reports and uh, afterwards, I think she handled herself amazingly well. She's clearly very bright. I know people who went to college with her, and everybody, whether they agree with her views or not, and there were some who sharply disagree with some right. of her positions, uh, praise her and and extol her. And the, to me, the most telltale thing is when they ask her that she had a pad in front of her. Right. Could you <laughs> could you show us what notes you had when you came in? And it was blank that she did all of this. Without the volumes of, of notes that people usually have when they go into to a hearing of this kind. Man, we all went to high school with someone like that. <laughs> yeah. Hate them all. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if she was a guy, she would have been beat it up to beaten up thirty times in the back room. <laughs> just kidding, folks. You know I'm just joking around, citing a completely different era than the way we handle things now. Finally, Malcolm, explain this to me. Sweden will boost military spending by around 40% over the next five years. And this, by the way, I think is a great example of a foreign policy question. Over the next five years and double the numbers conscripted into the uh, armed forces, it looks to beef up its defense amid growing tensions with Russia. This according to their government in a statement yesterday. I mean, it took till 2020. I'm assuming that this whole this pattern has gone on, I assume, since World War II, right, in terms of reduction. And now all of a sudden Sweden's waking up. And what does it tell us about Russia that a neighbor like Sweden has to take action like this? So that's a series of very good questions that uh, we could devote a whole show to uh, about Russia's increasing uh, aggressiveness and outreach everywhere and challenging uh, Europeans, challenging the United States, wherever the U.S. is, they are. Wherever there's a void, they will try to fill it, as we see in the Karabakh, as you see in Libya, as you see in other places far away from Russia. can't say that it's like the Ukraine or others that are immediate neighbors and right. you know, their direct uh, interest. Uh, it's very 
money in the part in Sweden, which has been opposed to any militarization and things like that in the past. And Europe altogether has walked away from its responsibilities. And I think President Trump really stuck it to them about picking up a big, bigger share of NATO, which nobody again talks about. But but more than that, it's it's putting them on notice. And France, for the first time, did intervene against Turkey in the Mediterranean. We are seeing certain signs of uh, willing to stand up. But more, we see the signs of the failure to stand up, and particularly on Iran, where they're not willing to back the United States, where they're not willing to take the courageous stands to to uh, to protect them, because they're within missile range today uh, of of Iran. And Russia was allowed over these decades to to have a chokehold on energy supply, which is why they are involved in some of the conflicts. Even it applies to Azerbaijan, where you have pipelines to Europe um, that uh, they they want to be able to control. They want to be the sole supplier, uh, or at least to be in total control of the pipelines and the flow of energy to Europe, because they have them and then over a barrel. So you tell, uh, like they did with Ukraine, to give them a cold winter, they can tell it to the Germans, you know, you're not getting an energy this year. Right. So, but And in the meantime, they have neglected because we filled the void and, and because it wasn't direct conflict. But now, I think most of this military development is not against just against external threats, which are, are somewhat limited. I mean, Denmark's not going to invade or attack them, or Norway, right. uh, likely. Uh, they <laughs> might take their herring, but then... But, but they have huge problems today with internal terrorism, both with the radicalization of populations, with the Islamist uh, population that has come, that it's become Islamic, which have become Islamist and radicalized, and, you know, they had open borders, they, they took in refugees, and now, I mean, I've heard it from, in, in talks with high-ranking Swedish officials, uh, their concerns in, in, in this regard, and, you know, I think it's true for, for much of Europe, and, and the armies there don't want to be policemen, so they don't want to do the domestic thing, even when it came to protecting Jewish institutions in France and others. The soldiers said, look, this is for police, this is not for us to do. Some wouldn't even show up for it, for their duty in this regard. So Europe is facing a new reality. The question is, will they have the gumption to, to stand up to it, to, to really take the steps necessary, or they continue to concede? In some places, it's too late. They gave up. They lost. Yep. And um, I hate to say that, and I hope that everything can be reversed, but that's not the way a lot of people in Europe see it. And it's not the way the world usually works. The reversal is very difficult to obtain. And all we hear about here is the stories from Sweden about the... Uh, the fact they've handled the you know COVID nineteen so well, why they've gotten away with that? I mean, not they've gotten away with anything, but meaning why it worked so well there, without shutting things down. I have no idea. I wish I knew the answer to that. Well, they were talking about uh, uh, you know um, the immunity that comes from herd immunity and other things. You know, it's proven, but uh, they also had periods when uh, the numbers were were uh, serious. One thing we've learned: nobody knows anything about this virus. Nobody knows true. What now we see it can come back a second time. For all of those people who yeah. answered me that they don't wear masks because they they had it, so they have antibodies, but I don't. So they don't think about the fact that they are sad, that they are endangering other people's lives, let alone, I think, their own, because now it's shown uh, in Israel they have dozens of cases. Uh, I've heard of, of people getting it a second time. We see children now being carriers in, in the latest studies. 
So you're right. That's the real part of the mystery of this thing is that we really just don't know. We don't know how many cycles we'll have of it. We don't know when it ends. And I understand people's frustrations. I understand the desire to have schools open and schools open. I want that too. We all have to have, want to see that happen. But the more we comply, the more likely is that we can bring that about sooner. I hope so, including travel to Israel. And 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 we should let our public officials, when they go off track, know, but do it responsibly and respectfully and effectively and you know, people will define that, but, but you know, we, we, we have to think about the, the long-term uh, images and damage and stuff that, that can be done during a, such a critical period. No question about it. Thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak Good again Shabbos. next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bracious with candle lighting at 553 in New York. New York is 553. It's Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan beginning tomorrow night. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Sunday and Monday is Rosh Chodesh. Again, Rosh Chodesh begins tomorrow night, and we will actually read Machar Chodesh tomorrow. Keep that in mind when you're in shul. Uh, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. I uh, want to thank those who are donating and supporting us, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Coming up at 9 o'clock, brand new edition of A Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Uh, Maishi Schoenfeld, Asis Fish, Rabbi Hanoch Hecht, the six-minute rabbi, both guests of Naomi coming up at 9 a.m. 10 o'clock, the Arab Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. 1 p.m. for the Arab Shabbos Music Mix, and don't forget the final hour. The final hour, which I guess today will begin at about a quarter to five, the final hour brought to you by Kedem is an amazing mix of music specifically designated for Shabbos Bracious by our music director, Mark Zamek, and that happens right before Shabbos. Uh, Saturday Night Single with Avrami is tomorrow night at 9 p.m. It's always wonderful to see how many people are logging on after Havdalah and uh, and uh, and through Avrami's show on Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, it's Matis Weingast. Yet another amazing live edition of JM Sunday, Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I speak with you next on Monday here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Ben, uh, this time each and every Friday morning, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Summary Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey. We ask him to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Wow. Tomorrow we have the privilege of beginning Beratius, starting all over again. And amazing, in this first parsha of the Torah, the Torah covers the first thousand years of civilization. The Torah, according to the Chinuch in Parshas, Beratius has one positive mitzvah, the mitzvah of pruervu, procreation, of bringing children into this world. There's no question about it, but that our Torah has the capacity to communicate so much in so few words. If so, I'd like to ask the opening question of Rashi, but in a little bit of a different way. Namely, why was it necessary for the Torah to begin with the account of creation? And Rashi tells us, 
and we should remember this all the time, that the book of Bereshis is our deed to the land of Israel. That if the nations of the world, says Rashi, and it's incredible that Rashi wrote, it would appear with nothing less than Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. Because what does Rashi say? That should the nations of the world, should they say to and regarding the Jewish people, listen that you are a bunch of thieves, a bunch of robbers. After all, you've stolen the land of Israel from the nations that were there prior to you. We have an answer, namely, Bereshis Baralukim. Hashem created the world. The world is His. It's His choice to give whatever piece of land He wants to whomever. Initially, He gave it to them, and now He gave it to us. Now, when we tell this to the non-Jews, will the UN accept this and therefore say, oh, we're sorry, we've been accusing you of this for the last 50 years and more? The answer is no. But who is it for? It's for us to convince and to remind ourselves without any shadow of a doubt that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. But I'd like to ask, why do we need the detailed account of creation to know what it is that Hashem brought forth on each particular day when at the surface, according to our rabbis, it could be exceedingly misleading. One could get the impression that on the first day Hashem created light, and on the second day the waterworks, and it's and, and, and. No! Rashi tells us in more than one place that Bereshis Borlokim Eis Hashemayim. What is the word Eis there for? Eis is Lorabos. The Torah could have said, Bereshis Borolokim Hashemayim Ve'oretz, the heaven and the earth. What's the Eis Hashemayim, the heaven, the Eis Ha'oretz, and the land? And Rashi tells us that everything was created on the first day. However, it was implemented on the particular day. And so, after all, how would we know creation in seven days from the psukim that we're going to recite tomorrow in the Shachrish Mona Esrei and as part of our Kiddusha Rabbah V'shamru b'nei Yisrael as HaShabbos Why? Kisheshes yomim aso Hashem as HaShemayim v'esoretz For Hashem created the world in literally six days So why do I need the Bereshis. So, I'd like to share with you a very important Rashi, which is found in chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5, whereby the Torah tells us, this is the accounting of creation and the unfolding thereof. And the Torah tells us something very interesting that the trees of the field and all the vegetation had not yet grown, even though the Torah tells us that Hashem created trees, vegetation, on the third day. Why had 
the vegetation not grown because it had not rained. And why not? Go on in that Pasuk, chapter 2, verse 5. For Adam Ayin, as there was no man, la'avod eser Adama. There was no man to literally work the ground, to work the soil. Now, Rashi tells us, what does that mean? Ein Adam la'avod Adama. There was no man to work the ground. Ein makir bitovasan shalkshamim. When the Torah tells us that Hashem created Adam in our likeness, in our image, what does that mean? So Rashi says, with intelligence, right? That man had very great intelligence and therefore Hashem was waiting for man who understood that this vast world without any vegetation, any growth on the surface was lacking rain. So therefore, Ukshaba Adam, when the first man was created, the Yoda, and he understood, Shaheim Tsorech Olam, that rain was necessary for the world, his Palela Lehem, Adam prayed for rain, the Yordu, and the rain descended, and then and then the trees and all the vegetation sprouted therefrom. Ah, teaches Rabbi Rucham Levavitz Satsal in his Das Torah that this is Hineze Yesod Bibrias Kula, that the Torah is teaching us a very basic principle regarding the function of this world. I don't need to know necessarily what happened on the third day, the fifth day, etc. So much more is being taught to us. In order for you to get, for man, for society, to get what they need, you have to ask for it. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in His infinite wisdom, recognized that in order for man to have a connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He is going to provide for man what he needs when and if man asks for it. And therefore, this will ensure a constant connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And so he says, Puk Chazi, open your eyes and take a look. After all, the Avos and the Imahos, right? Our patriarchs and matriarchs, he says, take note that they did not receive that which they needed unless first they prayed and the Torah points this out. If you take a look at the very beginning of Parshas Toldos and the Torah tells us that Rivka Imenu was an Akara. She could not have children. And what does the Torah say? 
And you might think that, why does the Torah have to teach us this? After all, it's so obvious. But no. The Torah tells us that Yitzchak davened to Hashem. Literally, opposite his wife, on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. Oh, and the Torah then goes on to say what? Hashem. Hashem responds positively. And Batahar and the rest, quote, is history. And let's take a look at Rachel Imenu. Go to chapter 30 in the book of Bereshis and take a look at Pasuk 22. After Leah already has six children, six sons, Fayiskor Elohim es Rachel. Hashem remembered Rachel. What does that mean, he remembered? So Rashi says, Zohar Law, he remembered, Shemosra Simonel Lachosa. He quotes the Gemara in Baba Basra 123a, that Hashem remembered the incredible act of kindness that Rachel, on the night of her wedding, gave over secret password to her sister, not to embarrass and humiliate Leah. What an incredible act of kindness. Wouldn't you and I think that this would be sufficient vis-a-vis that maybe she too was entitled to some happiness and joy in this world in the form of a child giving her the opportunity for eternity as well. And the Torah continues to say that after Hashem remembered Rachel, Elohim. What does that mean? Hashem listened to her. What does that mean, he listened to her? It means he listened to her tefillos. That in order for Rachel to merit her Yosef, she had to be mispalil for him. A very powerful concept the Torah is teaching us through this concept of man praying for rain. And indeed, there's a double entendre here. The Pasuk reads, Adam Ayin, there was no man, La'avod Eso Adama. The word La'avod has two different meanings. One, the literal meaning of to work, to work the land. And the other meaning is to pray every day. In the first of the last three brachos, in every Shemona Esrei, Ritzei, we ask Hashem to please accept our prayers, our Shemona Esrei, and Vosheves Ho'avuda, please restore the service referring to the korbanos, the dvir beisecha, to the base hamigdash. And therefore, the idea is that the Torah is being merames, there was no man to pray. Man prayed, and he got. In yesterday's Shir Shalyom, in Tilim Pei Aleph, the 81st Psalm, so 
King David tells us in verse 11, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am your God, Hamaocha Me'eretz Mitzrayim, who literally raised you up from the land of Egypt. And listen to the next three words. What does it mean? Harchev Picha Vamaleu. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it up. Come on. The last time we used this concept of open your mouth wide, either it was the dentist asking you so he can please get a good view of your mouth, or when you had to give some medicine to your child, you said to your child, come on, open up wide. What is David Melech saying over here? Open up wide and I will fill it. Says Rashi, Harchev Picha, Lish O Mimeni, ask from me, daven to me, call to Avas Nafshecha, all that which your heart Libecha desires. Ah, and then Vaamaleu, says Rashi, Kacholashetishal, in accordance with your asking, Amale, that's what I will respond and give to you. And so, Especially we who have undergone these last months, the pandemic. What have we learned? We've learned that we should be makir tov. There was no rain because there was no one to appreciate the rain. Man had to appreciate the rain in order for it to rain. We are to appreciate and not take for granted whatever we have. We saw how life from one moment to the next. We saw in terms of jobs from one moment to the next. What can you take for granted? And the answer is absolutely nothing. So each and every day we are to be makir tovaso. Each and every day we are to appreciate amachadesh betuvo b'chol yom tomid masay bereshis. When did creation happen? And you're going to tell me 5,781 years ago. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm going to tell you that creation happened right this day. And that's how we should be privileged to look at it, to appreciate, and to connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a very real way. And let's remember what David says, ask and you get. Davin, with a great sense of true appreciation, and realize that there are three pillars Torah, wow. Kimilas chasodim, wow. Tefillah, avoda, come on. And the Torah teaches us, Bereshis, that avoda is as crucial to this world as Torah and Gemilus chasodim. Shabbat shalom to all.
J.M. in the A.M. from an album entitled Ora Simcha. That's L'Chad Dodi here on a Friday morning, 16th of October, 28th of Tishrei. Believe it or not, the first month of 5781 is coming to a rapid close. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Bracious. We start from the beginning with candlelighting in New York at 5.53. Rosh Chodesh begins tomorrow night. Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan is Sunday and Monday. Again, we'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan is Sunday. And Monday, we'll actually say Machar Chodesh tomorrow. Keep that in mind. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes uh, traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items as well. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net, and try A&H today. When you go to kosherdogs.net, enjoy a... 10% discount with promo code radio. You know, it's Parsha's Bracious tomorrow. A time for beginnings, a time for a new cycle, a time to implement new things in one's life. And we've always spoken about for years, we've spoken about the importance of partners in Torah. Partners in Torah literally matches up people who have some education or some level of Jewish education with those who would like to explore more about our heritage. If you want to be a mentor or a student, if you want to explore more or if you want to help someone explore more and uh, study with a partner over the phone once a week, it's an amazing feeling. It's an incredible accomplishment, and it's a wonderful thing to undertake now at the beginning of the brand-new Torah cycle. What a commitment. What a wonderful commitment to make. Go to partnersintorah.org. Go to partnersintorah.org, or you can... Uh, uh, you can go to our, actually, you could call 1-800-STUDY-42, 1-800-STUDY, the number four, and then the number two, 1-800-STUDY, then the number four, and the number two, and um, and explore Partners in Torah. So PartnersinTorah.org has all the information, PartnersinTorah.org. We are highly recommending it always, but especially now at the beginning of a brand new Torah cycle could be the perfect time for you to start and to be a mentor or a student under the Partners in Torah uh, umbrella. JM in the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. That's Matis this coming Sunday, 7 a.m. Eastern time. He's live, and he's amazing every single Sunday. Uh, tomorrow night, it's Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull. Tomorrow night, it's Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull. And that'll be um, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern time. All day long, incredible selections. We've got the... Uh, we've got the... Um, Erev Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zomik and presented by Kedem at 10 o'clock this morning. We have the Erev Shabbos music mix presented by Kedem starting at uh, 1 p.m. this afternoon. We have The Last Hour, which today will start at about a quarter to five with Mark Zomik, again brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's an amazing way to go into Shabbos, especially Shabbos Bracious. Um... And that's all happening today. Plus, Naomi Nachman is coming up next. Naomi Nachman is coming up next with a brand new edition of Table for Two. Her guests today include Maishi Schoenfeld, Vasi's Fish, and Rabbi Hanoch Hecht, also known as the Six-Minute Rabbi. Um, Naomi Nachman coming up next with a one-hour presentation of Table for Two. You can actually watch the entire thing if you go to our website, NachumSiegel.com. The video is up, and you could watch that on the homepage, NachumSiegel.com. Dot com. So thank God the content is endless. The content is great. Uh, those of you out there who feel it's uh, it's worth paying for this content, as we pointed out yesterday, now we're in an era. We never thought we'd get to this era, but now we're in an era where people actually pay like crazy for content. 
How about a dollar a day? How about a pledge or a donation of $360 at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org? How about doing what Simon recommended yesterday, $36 a month, $100 a month, whatever you can do per month. That helps us tremendously, the monthly donors. Whatever you could do would be much appreciated. So again, please go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and do what you can, and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Lots of amazing efforts on our behalf by our incredible listeners. Leif Tahar is next. It's Friday. It's Arif Shabbos. It's JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos. Don't forget this coming Thursday night, Steve Adelsberg is going to be uh, leading our discussion, our Zoom discussion about Jews in baseball. Steve Adelsberg, Jews in baseball, a um, an event for our donors, for anybody who's been a sponsor of ours. Um, this coming Thursday night, starting at 7.30 p.m. on Zoom. We'll use our regular Zoom ID. We'll talk more about it, obviously, during the week. And we will be joined by a former Major League Baseball player. We will be joined by a former Major League Baseball player on that Zoom call. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, it's happening 7.30 Eastern time this coming Thursday night. Jews and baseball. And knowing Steve Adelsberg, it'll probably extend a little bit to Jews and sports in general. He's got some good stories. He's got uh, a lot of items to share. And uh, we're going to be opening it up, obviously, to our listeners, to those who are on the Zoom call, to share their um, questions and answers as well. That's our intention for this coming Thursday night. Time to say good job. It's Journeys at JM in the AM. Study and you'll pray 
there's nothing left to do Go on home and find the gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very, 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 very special My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing day, a great morning, and a fantastic week here at JMN. And plenty more, co- I shouldn't say amazing day, plenty more coming up today. Naomi Nachman is next, brand new edition of the Table for Two program. Mark Zamek, Kedem presents the Erev Shabbos show between 10 and 1. Erev Shabbos music mix presented by Kedem starting at 1 p.m. Eastern time. The final hour at a quarter to 5 uh, Eastern time with Mark Zamek and a fitting final hour of the week before Shabbos Bracious. It's all coming up here today on the Nahum Siegel Network. Tomorrow night it's Avrami with Saturday Night Siegel. Matis hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning. Starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time live here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I speak with you on Monday, please, God. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Enjoy Shabbos Bracious. Till Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future. (laughs) 